Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, no matter where you are in the world listening to this. I was just looking the other day, and we have over 60 countries are currently listening to this show. Um either live or on podcast. So I'm so excited for that, and I'm so honored and humbled by all of your support and all the reach-outs that you all do. And for those in in the Houston area or those of us in Florida who are preparing for the next storm, um, my prayers are with everybody. And uh, just, just, I don't even know what to say. Um, There's so much that's been happening, and just try to hold love in your heart no matter what. And um, we're all praying for everybody. So... Today, I have somebody that when I talk to her, I light up. I feel really great. So I thought this is a perfect show to have, not knowing that all this stuff was going to be going on in the world when we booked it. I just thought, oh, this is great. Right after Labor Day weekend here in the United States. And for those on the podcast, yes, you may be listening to this a month from now or a year from now because I just found out there's somebody that has been binge listening for the last several days to my show so she started from number one and has gone all the way up. So, um, uh, Karen, thank you for that. <laughs> so my guest today is an interesting woman. I met her through Bob Berg, and, you know, he just totally loves Dixie and talks about her all the time, and we actually met. She is the author of a book, Just Blow It Up, Firepower for Living an Unlimited Life, and Doses of Dynamite, Firepower for Capturing the Inspiration in Everyday Things. But here is what is so cool about Dixie. You know, we can talk about her coaching and consulting and and being an absolute coffee fanatic. We can talk about all those things. But here's who Dixie is. She is a person that you want in your corner and that you want helping you see what's really going on. So that outside viewpoint in. And we're going to talk about all sorts of different things today. So let's just jump right in and welcome Dixie Gillespie to the show. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. I've been looking forward to sharing one of our conversations. We have we have such a powerful conversation just leading up to this that I, I knew this was going to be great. Yeah, and we're going to need more time than the show has, but we'll we'll do what we can for for those that are listening live. And um, as always, everybody who's listening to the show, either live or podcast, you can always reach out to me at Laura at Laura Stewart or tweet at the Laura Stewart and let us know what's going on for you. Um, while you're listening to the show, if you're driving, please do not tweet and drive, text and drive, email and drive. If you must do it, pull over on the side of the road. <laughs> Amen. So, so Dixie, I've been trying to figure out the perfect question to start with. And, you know, I could go in so many different directions, but here's something that I want to throw out there. How do you ask questions that challenge your assumption to evolve? Mm. You know, I- I think so often we fall into assumptions that we don't even realize we have. So the, the trick to me is to ask questions that don't just, you know, challenge the assumptions, but even challenge whether or not we're making an assumption. You know, because so often we start with a premise and we think that's truth. And, you know, people talk a lot about truth and I talk about Knowing, recognizing your personal truth and speaking your personal truth and that whole, you know, truth into power kind of thing. But so often we think truth is this absolute. So the biggest question that I 
I feel we should ask ourselves with pretty much everything, not just is it true, because our knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, of course it's true, right? It's right. And true for me. That's my personal truth. I'm going to defend it, you know, to the death. But to say, how do I know it's true? I right? like that. So how do and, and I know it's how true? How do I know it's true? And a lot of times the, the thing is, and, and you talk a lot about intuition, and I know that's, you know, part of, you know, what you write about and what you talk about too, and Sometimes there's a difference between information that we know, like intellectually we know, we have scientific proof, we can Google it, somebody else said it was true, someone says it, it must be true, all of that good stuff, versus that deep gut, I can't explain it, but I know it, and I actually trust that more than I do the intellectual proof. So a lot of times we're going with a premise because somebody said it was true, we've been told it was true since the time we can remember, um, you know, somebody we admire once told us that was true, whatever. But does it align with that deep gut knowing of truth that that's your personal space of truth? But then how do you know that it's even your personal space of truth? Mm-hmm. You know, that is something that you hone. That's really just, you know, it's like so many other skills. I, I started baking bread when I was... Well, when I was younger than 12, but I baked my first batch of bread by myself with no help when I was 12. I still have a picture of me sitting there with the long brown braids and all the loaves and rolls, you know, beaming from ear to ear. Because I did that by myself, right? But I didn't do that just because I had a recipe. Bread is something that takes a feeling. You just know when that dough's ready. And there's no exact measurement for how much flour you add to make it bread. Like, you just have to get a feeling for it. And... Personal truth's a little bit like that. <laughs> you know, that sounds a little a little silly, but it's something that you get a feeling for. Um, there's a great video out there. Um, I can't think of his name. The guy that, that started Snap, uh, Snapchat, who had, he was in the hospital. You know, a, a lot of his physical facilities were shut down, and he started trusting that sixth sense, that intuition. And now he flat out says that's basically how he runs his company. Even when he interviews somebody, he says, I barely look at their resume. I just I just feel them. I just know if, if that's a person that's going to fit. And so it takes practice trusting that, that deep gut. And sometimes it takes trial and error. And sometimes until you get the feel of it, you'll be wrong. And you have choices about how you look at that so-called mistake. You know, did you just have a bad batch of bread and you learned something? Um, or are you just going to quit trusting your gut completely and stop trying? It's so funny that you use the analogy, uh, but it's not because you and I are very attuned. You use the bread analogy. Those who have, my listeners who have um, been when I've done a keynote, I often use the story of my grandma teaching me how to make our apple pie. And mm. I wanted to write down the recipe. And she didn't have a recipe, mm-hmm. but I made her right. let me measure out like the starting points just so that I would have it as a starting point. So she kept trying to throw it in the in the pan and in the bowl. And I'm like, no, no, no. And I'd take it out and I'd measure it. And finally, I had to put saran wrap over the top so that I could measure the initial thing. And then she said, OK, enough of this. You've got the basics. And then she stuck my hand in the dough. And my hand's in the dough, and her hands are on top of mine, and she's kneading it. And she goes, do you feel that now? And I'm like, what? She goes, just be quiet and listen to the dough. Feel the dough. And she's moving my fingers, and she goes, do you feel that? 
And I'm like, yes. And she goes, it needs a little more flour. And she added a little more flour. And she goes, okay, now, is it ready or not? I said, I think it's ready. She goes, why do you think that? I said, it just feels right. And I I had no idea. But she's Mm -hmm. like, yes, absolutely. And that I can still, I have goosebumps now. Because I can still feel my grandmother's Mm -hmm. hands on top of mine that moment saying, do you feel that? And it Mm -hmm. so truly translates, Dixie, to, to life. And how often we forget to just be quiet and listen and feel. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's there's an expression we use a lot, you know, feeling your way into something. And I feel my way into truth a lot. And sometimes I realize, you know, I'll look back at my journals and I realize what I wrote last year was close. But today I'm closer. I just never think of truth as absolute. Um, there's some, There are some absolute divine truths, but... I don't think of the things that I know or um, my, my, the premises that I work from as being absolutely true. Because what's true and appropriate for a person today may not be what they need to know a year from now. If we're still operating on the same truth we had a year from now, we're probably not opening ourselves to, to growth and opportunities that are there for us. That's so fascinating. Last night I was watching... Um an episode of Oprah's Super Soul Sunday, mm-hmm. the one where she had all these different thought leaders on, and she took snippets of them answering these big questions from their interviews that she had done with them previously. And one of them was the, I believe, like, I believe, and then fill in the blank. And one of the guys, I can't remember who he is, but I just remember going, you know, I love this guy. He's so spiritually so connected. He's just amazing. And he said, I believe that God is evolving. Yes. And I was, it literally almost knocked me off the bed because I'm like, what do you mean God's evolving? And he goes, you know, God's evolving because we're evolving. We're growing. We're changing. God's not stagnant. How could anything infinite be stagnant? Right. And then it, it just threw into question everything I believed mm-hmm. and opened up a possible other truth. Right. You know, the the thing is, Larry, that we, our brains are lazy by design, by design, for survival. Our brains are lazy. Um, we like absolutes and we like, you know, we like binaries. So we like yes or no. We, we like black or white. That makes the decisions easy. So there's some decisions that should be easy. You know, like what to put on in the morning. If it's not a big event... Put something on and start your day. You know, if we if we had to question our personal truth in order to get dressed, we would have a problem, right? Right. <laughs> Nothing would ever get done. So some things, you know, and, and our brains are wired for quick decisions. Like, am I in danger? Yes or no? Do I, you know, do I run? Yes or no? Do I fight? Yes or no? So these these lazy brains are not designed to, for contemplation, which I think is where... You know, we talk a lot about the brain versus the mind, and I've always been fascinated by that differentiation, like what goes on, what happens in the function of the clinical brain and the body brain, you know, the entire physical material self that we have in the world versus what is the function of the mind. And the way that I've come to understand it, and it's way oversimplified, but at the same time it serves. And we're going to tease everybody with that. 
Because <laughs> we're sounds like a good plan. <laughs> it's a good plan. We're going to tease everybody with that and go into our first commercial break. We are here with Dixie Gillespie, um, just an amazing fire starter, powerful woman, uh, Dixie Dynamite. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Um, Dixie, the brain versus the mind. Continue your thought. Dixie, you there? Hold on. Yes. Okay, there you are. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I think I think my mic hasn't switched back over. Um, to 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 really think about the mind, because of course you know so much in, in business, so much of it comes from the mind. I mean, the the value is birthed from the mind. It's an idea, right? Um, you know, we we challenge our mind as much as our brain in in, in business and life. So, you know, understanding the mind is an old fascination of mine. And I've really just, I think of the mind, obviously, as a function. In fact, when people say, well, how do I know I have a soul? I say, well, how do you know you have a mind, <laughs> right? Same <laughs> yeah. thing. Can't touch it. Can't feel it. And yet it manages your life. It, the mind itself pretty much dictates the choices that you'll make because it dictates the choices you think you have. Um, you know, it's it's the seat of thinking and all that. So what is the mind? And I've really just come to understand it as where the function of the brain and the function of the soul overlaps. Oh, I like that. Where the function so of you the... Think, yeah. Say that one more the time. Function of the, the function of the brain and the function of the soul overlap. And that's the mind. And that's how I think about the mind. Oh, that's such a tweetable moment. Anybody out there that can tweet while you're listening safely, please do that. Because <laughs> I can't tweet and do the show. It just doesn't work for me. No, I can't either. But if you want to include me, I'm happy to retweet. It's at Dixie Dynamite. Perfect. So throw, throw me in there and I'll be happy to share it out. And I appreciate that. But but I think that's, you know, that's really where I come into the, you know, what, what, place does soul have in business? You know, when I was in India, I, I gave a talk on what happens when soul comes to the table in business. And, you know, we've, we've kind of tried to keep the spiritual out of business, the religious out of business, the soul out of business. We've tried to pretend that we can segregate our lives and that business is an intellectual pursuit. And, of course, anything that involves the mind the way that I understand the mind and the way I understand people as every person is soul, you can't keep it out of business. So, you know, I think a lot of the pain that we have in decision-making in business is really because we're trying to keep that deep intuition, soul-level truth out of our business endeavors. I I would agree with you because, you know, I, I... Well, I think you know this. I spent most of my career in very male-dominated fields in technology, mm-hmm. which is Just not... As I did in medicine. Right, <laughs> in medicine. We, we share that, yes. And medicine, I think, has a little bit more of an intuitive portion to it than technology, the way people think. It's just, oh, it's black and white and whatever. And people would look at me and go, how did you know that's what needed to be fixed? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, I just knew. It, it like, told me. <laughs> You know, and it was fascinating to me because to me, it was a very, I didn't have the words for it at the time, but it was a very soul innate focused work that I did. My staff and I, we didn't just fix computers. 
we looked at a bigger thing and we, the computer had a soul to us. And it's like, okay, this is where you need to go. <laughs> so how, how do you, somebody who's in business now that just feels that there is something lacking in their business or they're feeling that sense of dissatisfaction or unease, what would be some things you would suggest they can start asking themselves to help them figure out maybe where they're off track a little bit or how they can begin to feel their business? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times it's because they aren't really in their business. They're working their business. They're doing the services that their business requires them to do or the tasks that their business requires them to do or the decision-making their business requires them to do. But they really aren't included in their business. So that's why I work a lot with, with personal brand. I mean, um, you know, I, I get marketing and branding, and I work with a lot of really great business marketing and branding people and have several of them as clients. But no matter how big the business is, you have a personal brand because you have a personal, you know, we sometimes call it an energy signature or, you know, a stamp, whatever, that is part of that business. And for many of us, there comes a time when that business is no longer serving our personal development, our enrichment, the business is great, but our place in it is no longer where we need to be. And so that's, you know, I call this the crossroads moment. So many people, you know, the conversation with me starts with, I don't know, I'm kind of at a crossroads, I'm not sure what to do next. And and that's that's when people seem to be kind of drawn to me because that's that's exactly what it is. We, we're at a crossroads. We can continue on the course that we're on, and for all material purposes, the business might still do great, but and and the business might be viable if somebody else took it over, but it's not fulfilling to us. And that's you know I've been through that in two major ways. One was about twelve years ago when I was doing peer consulting. So. Much like you, I was in a very intellectual field where it was strategic. You needed to, you know, have proof of concept before you did anything. Intuition wasn't spoken of and mindset was fuzzy, you know, fuzzy logic. Um, and yet so much of what I did was personal development. You know, the organizational development, the business building, that was great. But what really did it for me was seeing people develop. And, you know, I had one of those epiphanies where I realized, my inner fire was really about that. Like, I just, I wasn't in my business. My intellect was, but my soul wasn't. And that's when I, I transitioned to coaching and began working only with business owners or entrepreneurs, you know, where they, they're employed, but they have an entrepreneurial approach and mindset to their work. And um, doing personal coaching for business people. And for a long time, that was extremely fulfilling. And then recently, partly due to a severe illness, which you and I have talked about, um, which was, you know, due to mold and, and finally a diagnosis of Epstein-Barr and, you know, finally realizing, okay, this is, this is what's going on. But I really started doing the soul work that I was led to do and realized that even coaching, even personal development, even working from that intuitive place myself still wasn't enough. I still wasn't all in. I wasn't 100% in my business. Because 100% in your business means that you're bringing all of your gifts to the table. And I wasn't. I had gifts that I wasn't bringing into my business within those boundaries. 
So I moved the boundaries yet again. And now I'm feeling quite fulfilled and I'm feeling engaged and enlivened and enriched by my business again. So the first question is, are you all in? Not are you all committed? That's what most people mean when they say, are you all in? Are you committed? No. I mean, is all of you in your business? And that's the tangibles and the intangibles. It's every part of you. That's right. And so much of that is limited by self-identity. So then the, the question is, it is, you know, what I believe I see in the mirror really who I am? You know, I tell people we evolve literally in our own mirror. Oh, I love And, lo- you know, that, that self-reflection, that self-awareness is vital to fulfillment, whether it's in business, life, gardening, <laughs> whatever, whatever it may be. And that's um, where we're going to go into the national news. <laughs> we're talking about... We just find these wonderful uh, suspension points. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So everybody, think about during the national news break, when you look at yourself in the mirror, if you're in the car, look in the rearview mirror or whatever. If you're home, look in your phone, turn the selfie camera on. What I believe I see in the mirror, is it really true? Give yourself mm-hmm. that moment, that space to really see and feel. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with Dixie Gillespie. If you um, are just joining us here live on the radio, if it's podcast, yeah, you know, we've been talking to Dixie and we left you with a cliffhanger. So, mm-hmm. Dixie, let's continue that conversation. We left everybody with the thought of looking in the mirror or selfie camera or whatever it may be and saying, is what I, be- what I believe I see in the mirror, is it true? Yeah, you know, and so much of that hinges on the the self-identity. You know, one exercise that I do with my clients a lot, I played with myself, just asking myself to go deeper and deeper into the essence of me is, you know, starting with I am. So it's so, you know, tempting we say I am, you know, I am a daughter. I mean, let's start there. For a female, of course, we're a daughter or somebody's daughter, right? Um, and then we get into the other relationships. So in business, you know, I had this identity that first that said, I'm a consultant and business analyst. Whoa, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty limiting. And then, you know, I'm a coach. I'm a, um, you know, I'm a, a mentor and those kind of things. And then I challenged myself, well, what does that mean? What am I really? Well, one of the things that I know I am is a fire starter. You know, when I work with people, the fire gets lit. They, you know, they they figure out, not because I'm lighting it, but they figure out what really keeps that fire burning, what fuels that inner passion. Um, okay, great, fire starter. You know, I am a, and one of the things that kept coming up in my I am statement was my spiritual practice. And that didn't have a place in my business. You know, I finally accepted that I had some some natural spiritual gifts that I you know, I have some abilities that were given to me in the spiritual world that were never, they were in my, if, if I were was honest with myself when I looked in that inner mirror and I said, I am, those had to be on the list if I were honest. They had no place in my business because my earlier identity was I'm a business coach, right? So, you know, what place do these spiritual practices and spiritual gifts have if my I am was a business coach. And so I have clients start eliminating anything that's situational. 
a business coach is situational, right? Uh, being a daughter is not necessarily situational. If you're female and you're born, you're a daughter. But being Ruth's daughter, being Lyle's daughter, that's situational. I could have been born to anybody. So just taking off anything that's circumstantial, situational, present truth, but not, you know, deeper, original, inherent, divine truth, and looking at what's left. And, you know, one of the questions that one of my coaches posed to me that was so meaningful um, I was going through the certification as a soul language practitioner, which was something else that came out of that year-long illness that really I was soul-driven to do. That's, that's a funny story of how I ended up asking for that certification. Um, but but I was going through my training for that certification, and Jennifer asked me, how are you sleeping? And I said, well, my nights are really busy. Like, I'm asleep, but I have this happening, and I have this happening, and I've always been that that way, kind of, you know, the shaman-type dreams and prophetic dreams, and and I'm very busy. And she said to me, when are you going to get be compensated in the material world for the work that you do in the spiritual world? And it stopped me cold, because so much of what was on my self-identity, look in the mirror, I am list, did not show up in my material, this is what I'm compensated for list at all. So that's when I say we evolve in our own mirror. That's exactly what I mean. That's when we look in the mirror and we're honest, and then we look at our business and we say, why am I not fulfilled in my business? Quite often it's because what we've evolved into is not coming to the table in our business. So you're saying, let me see if I... I I have clarity on this for my my listeners. Mm-hmm. So what you're what I'm hearing is that if we don't bring all our gifts to the table, we and we disconnect ourselves, so to speak, from our whole being. That's the spiritual, emotional, physical, mental that not all that's meant to come to us can come to us, whether it's monetary or otherwise. That's so right. They'll never be fulfilled either in material terms or spiritual terms. Um, and, and that was a hard lesson for me, Laura. I really felt like I could differentiate that. You know, I, I had a very, a very fulfilled spiritual life, um, but it was private. And I've always said that spirituality slash religion slash faith slash any label you want to put on it was private. Um, and I also had that belief that so many spiritually-based coaches do that our spiritual gifts are not something we should receive compensation for, that those were gifts from the divine. And what I've come to understand, of course, is that gifts from the divine that we are able to use in the material world are here to fuel our lives in the material world. And in our understanding of material world fuel, we call it energy money. That's just the fuel for a material life. So it, it was it was a lot of work during during that year when my body wouldn't work and half the time my my clinical brain w- wouldn't work because mold causes such brain fog and memory loss that my soul answered all of those questions <laughs> of, about what I was here to do you know in the material world but if you if you don't stop pretending about those gifts if you don't stop you know pretending that you're able to segment divine gifts from, you know, your your material life in some way or another, you're never going to use those gifts. And if you don't use those gifts, you'll never have a truly fulfilled life on any level. 
And that's come to be my understanding, my personal truth. It's not going to be the personal truth for everybody, and that's okay. But that's the personal truth by which I have to live my life or my life causes suffering. And I tried that. That wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is not fun. And you you mentioned the mold and, and the health crisis. And there's a lot of my listeners out there that are struggling, including myself, to find health mm-hmm. in, in all things. Was there any one... Is there any one piece of advice that you could give somebody who's going through some sort of health crisis and is wondering if there's another side um, to come mm-hmm. out of that might help them when they're in the midst of it, feeling overwhelmed by it? You know, I'm going to go back to our, the first topic we discussed, and it's the hardest thing in the world, especially here in the Western world, where... You know, I I came out of medical consulting. I spent my life around doctors and their diagnosis techniques. And yet we recently learned that I've had Epstein-Barr. We can trace the first episode experience back to when I was 20. I'm 54. So I lived with that virus for a lot of years, never been really healthy in my adult life and didn't know why. I knew I had fibromyalgia. I knew I had a lot of physical pain that I had to manage. But really, I just kind of shrugged and said, yeah, because the doctors couldn't do anything about it. So I really accepted the limitation of traditional diagnostic techniques. And then I have a friend who's um, fully recovered. I mean, she says remission because there is, you know, no example of fully recovering from Lyme, but she had late-stage neuro-Lyme. When I met her, she was dying. There was no two ways about it. Um, And she is extremely intuitive. And she said to me, I think I think the Epstein virus is correct. That makes sense. But I also think there's some kind of toxicity. I think you need to look at mold. And sure enough. And the minute she said it, my my gut tightened. My throat tightened. I had a physical, you know, kinesthetic response, which is a little u- unusual because even when I do the, the soul language work, of connecting to someone's soul. Most of the, the other soul language practitioners have a kinesthetic response. Mine is actually what we call light body. I see a light in front of my eyes. So even that doesn't happen in my body. But as soon as she said, I think you need to look at mold, I had a kinesthetic instant response to that. And I was in her home. It wasn't even like I was in the presence of mold in my home. And as we pursued that, she would say, I, I, I suggest this, I suggest this. I never took it on blind faith, like, oh, she says this, you know, it wasn't, and she wouldn't have said it to me if she thought I was going to do that. And so the thing is, we, we should never, ever abdicate our truth about our physical self any more than we should our truth about our connection to God. You know, we, we find a paradigm that we think, oh, that feels good. And it's so easy to abdicate those beliefs to a religion, to a medical doctor, to some expert in that field, and to not listen to ourselves. I mean, I went to the doctor when I had my first outbreak of Epstein-Barr, mono, Epstein-Barr, it's all the same virus. I can look at the symptomology described today and know that's exactly what I was going through. The doctor laughed at me because I was young, I was 20. He said, yeah, you know, you're probably just eating too much salt. You know, the, the blood pressure spikes, probably just that. You're under too much stress. You're in college. I mean, he blew it off. I didn't listen to myself. 
when I was 20, when I knew something was wrong, but I had a medical doctor telling me there wasn't, I advocated my truth to somebody else. So for anybody who's having any kind of symptoms, dis-ease in the body, dis-ease in the mind, in emotions, in your business, anything that's making you uneasy, please do not advocate the diagnosis, if you will, or the solution to any expert, any expert, me or anybody else. Listen to yourself. It's so true. I mean, I was misdiagnosed so many times as well as my parents, and I I just knew in my gut that their diagnosis of I was sick because I was depressed because I wasn't with a man wasn't the truth. And it turned out it wasn't. I had Babesia and Lyme, (laughs) and it had gone into my brain. Mm -hmm. So if I had abdicated, it would have, I I could have ended up where your friend was, almost dead from it Mm -hmm. and and mentally crippled forever. And thankfully, I got to the right doctors. So we're going to come back to, uh, we're going to our last commercial break, and we're here with Dixie, and we're going to be talking some more, and we'll be right back. I, I love the whole concept of, not abdicating yourself to someone else in anything. I think for a, I know for a lot of people, it can be difficult, Dixie, to give yourself permission to put yourself first mm-hmm. because of everything else that's going on in your life. Um, and sometimes there's so much overwhelm going on because you're ill or there's business crises or whatever may be going on. How do you break that cycle? You know, permission is two key words that I focus on with clients a lot, permission and perspective. (laughs) Those are are two words that come up a lot, and they're they're very closely related. So one of the things that I I did, as you know, and just blow it up, is, is I shared something I call the permission audit. Um, which is something that you go through before you talk to anybody about an idea that you have. And it can also be useful really when we're talking about self-care or we're talking about, you know, uh, priorities, you know, making yourself a priority, which when you're ill, especially if it's a chronic illness or it's one of those mystery illnesses that nobody can seem to put, you know, their their finger on or it's that kind of illness that it's not severe but you're not well either, which is what I spent over 30 years with. It's like I didn't, you know, I wasn't healthy, but I wasn't sick. And that's a weird place to be in. And I, I say this from a, if I had learned to do this sooner, I know my life would have been different, of saying that you putting yourself first is the only way you really put anything first in the long run. Like we can temporarily suspend that. So that's the balance that I ask people to make is, yes, there's, you know, I have I have one client who's been a tax accountant for years. And during tax season, he has to suspend putting himself first for bursts of time. But he used to suspend putting himself first for all of tax season. When you're a corporate accountant, tax season goes right through September 15th because that's when anything that's on extension gets filed. So from the time things started coming in, you know, middle of January to September 15th, this guy was like everything came first but him, and then he hit these brick walls of endurance, and he'd be in bed for three days. And this is when you start asking, am I really getting anywhere in the long run by doing this? Or wouldn't I 
run the long race better if I took, you know, if I slowed down, if I took breaks. So with that, with that balance of giving yourself permission to take care of yourself, I always ask people to think about the long run. You know, your value in the long run, your contribution in the long run, your enjoyment of life in the long run. Everything has to be a long game. Um, otherwise, we get into this every day. We make decisions based on caring for other people. And so every day is a new day. We get up and we make decisions to put other people first. And if we do that, one of the days we're not going to be able to get up and do anything for anybody because we won't have anything left in our own tank. You know, our, our fuel will, will run dry. So the other, that, that perspective, that's why I mean perspective is kind of associated with it. You can have a perspective of right now, today, what do I have to do? And if that list is long, and for most of us, that list of what do I have to do today looks like a week's worth of work to anybody else, um, we're going to push through, right? And I spent a lot of years just pushing through, never really questioning other than I have fibromyalgia, so yeah, sometimes my body doesn't want to work. I just push through. What happened is I developed a coping mechanism of pushing through, and then when I got deathly ill with the mold, I was still making excuses. You know, wow, the fiber is just out of control. Um, you know, why why am I having so much brain fog? Well, because I hurt. Maybe the pain is affecting my ability to think. I could come up with a reason for every symptom I had that gave me justification for just pushing through. Or I could step into a different perspective and I could say, am I really any good to myself or anyone else if I keep just pushing through? And eventually that answer is going to be no. So why not just answer that question with no. <laughs> I'm not going to be good to anybody else if I keep pushing through. I need to stop, change my perspective to the long run, and start taking care of myself. It sounds so simple when you say it, but you and I both know it's oh, not. <laughs> but I spent a lifetime learning it, and I'm still <laughs> practicing to get it right. <laughs> it does. So many things sound simple, but they aren't easy. Sometimes the simplest answers are the hardest to learn. I think that's a great way of putting it. Don't think just because it's simple it's easy. We all get that. Just take it one step right. at a time. Break that's it down right. into the smallest piece and don't beat yourself up if tomorrow you can't do it, but the next day you do or the next hour you do. You know, that not beating yourself up, that's another you know perspective thing that I work with clients a lot. And it's that whole... I made a mistake or something bad happened or somebody did something to me or, you know, even world events. We have we have two perspectives. We have a human perspective and we have the soul perspective. And one of the things when I talk about, you know, what place does soul play, the, the biggest place for me is soul never lies. So while the human thinking can trick us, expert thinking can trick us, back to that, ab- you don't abdicate, soul never lies to us. It's just training ourselves to listen and to recognize the voice of the soul when we hear it and, you know, not think of our imagination or whatever. But, but soul doesn't lie. So there's that perspective. For instance, when life gives you adversity, and life will. That's just part of the design. Life will give you adversity. I'm kind of glad I got mine sooner rather than later because I got in some good practice. But when life gives you adversity or... When we have world situations, like the one that we have, whether it's a force of nature or a force of politics, 
there are two perspectives. The human perspective looks at what seems to be in the material world. Um, there's a, a Hindu word for that, maya, which I love. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's an illusion like it's not there. It means it's an illusion like it's not what it seems to be. It's not that. Okay, so, I want to make sure you get that in, so you got to wrap yeah. that thought up in the next 30 seconds. All right, so let's do it. So here's my question. When you have adversity, the human brain, the human thinking says, woe is me, this is horrible. What if it's not horrible? Ask soul, what gifts, what precious gifts are being fired in this moment that are going to be mine for infinity? Oh, I like that. What precious gifts are going to be mine for infinity? I love that. So people want to know, how do they reach out to you? How do they find out more about you? How do they connect? Well, Facebook is kind of my home away from home. Um, I have a lot of conversations there. Which I love it. I can talk to people all over the world. Um, and it's pretty easy to find Dixie Glassby, Dixie Dynamite. You'll, you'll find my personal business page. Um, Twitter is at Dixie Dynamite. I don't use Twitter heavily. If you want to reach me directly, it's just DixieGlassby at gmail.com is the easiest to remember. And Gillespie is G-I-L-L-A-S-P-I-E. There is a Gillespie out there somewhere, but it's Gillespie, G-I-L-L-A-S-P-I-E. I I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. I mean, you just, you you lit up my morning, and um, I know that you're going to do that for a lot of my listeners as well that listen to the show today. Thank you. It's been a wonderful morning for me, too. And listeners listening later may not know what kind of crisis you're in while you're doing this. You handled it so beautifully, and my thoughts and prayers are with you and everybody in the path of this possible hurricane. Yeah, and you've been through enough, you know, growing up, you were in tornado country. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, tornado country preparation isn't so important as, you know, quick, quick reaction, but but certainly nature can offer us some of those adversities. So I, I am certainly praying that you come through this with some gifts. Thank you. And uh, thank you to all the listeners out there. Um, you know that we're thinking about you wherever you are in the world since you're listening from all around the world, over 60 countries. Some countries I was in shock, but I'm just grateful, and I hope you're getting something from it. Please let me know. And remember, everybody, the right questions truly can change your life. I hope you got a few new ones today to ask yourself. Have a great day, everyone. Stay safe and know that I think about all my listeners. Take care. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 